Tony Barnett from the uh, LSE, and I'm very pleased to welcome you all here, and I'm very pleased to be the only person wearing a suit tonight. It's pretty shocking, really, the way standards have fallen. Um, this is a lecture in a series which is funded by the Department for International Development, who have been very generous because in one form or another, these lectures on HIV AIDS and reproductive health and infectious diseases have been running uh, for nine years now. And I think that's quite a record. If you look on the LSE AIDS website, you can actually look back and see all the lectures and lecturers that we've had over the last six years, and many of them are on podcast, as this one will be. Um, this evening, we have two very distinguished speakers who've been working together on a rather important uh, trial called the DART trial, and they're going to talk to you about the kinds of difference that antiretroviral therapy rollout in Africa is making to people's lives, and the study that they're reporting on is very novel, as you'll see from what they have to say, because it combines very rigorous quantitative and also rigorous qualitative methods. So, it's an enormous pleasure to introduce you Antonietta Medina-Lara, who until recently was at the University of Liverpool, but has now been elevated to a very great institution in uh, Italy, the uh, University Bocconi in Milan, and also Barbara Nianzi-Wakoli, who works for the Medical Research Council in Entebbe in Uganda, and also for the UVRI. For those of you who don't know the secret code, this is the Uganda Virus Research Institute, which is an extremely a prestigious and distinguished institution because it's been in the forefront of research on the HIV, uh, that one, on HIV virus. So, Antonietta, if you'd like to lead off, they're going to do a two-hander. Professor Barnett for this invitation. My name is Antonietta Meinalara and I, I am a health economist that has specialized in experimental economics applied to health, specifically in HIV AIDS in Africa. Together with my colleague and friend Barbara Nancy Waholi, uh, we are going, a senior uh, social researcher at the MRC Uganda, we are going to present the results of a collaborative project uh, with the MRC Uganda, the DART trial, and now the University of Oconi. This project has been funded by the Addressing the Balance of Burden of HIVS Research Program Consortium, funded by the FID. And tonight's presentation uh, will be focusing on the quantitative and qualitative uh, findings on the impact of antiretroviral therapy has on the lives of HIV-infected Ugandans. Um, so to put a little bit of context on this presentation, uh, in 1991, the HIV prevalence in Uganda was 15%. And thanks to the work uh, between the government, the local community, and foreign donors, it's now currently 5.4% uh, from the recent UNAIDS uh, figures. The provision of antiretroviral therapy and long-line treatment for HIVS has proven effective in increasing the quality uh, of life and extending the, the quantity of life of HIV-infected individuals. And the last five years have shown in the world the enormous efforts from the international community has brought together more money to distribute antiretroviral therapies, uh, antiretroviral therapy in Africa. 
However, most of the interventions that have been analyzing the impact uh, uh, that antiretroviral therapy has on patients in general in health is only through clinical outcomes, uh, which ignores actually how the patient uh, perceives the changes in their lives uh, in different uh, dimensions. So hair-related quality of life provides a more comprehensive assessment of how the treatment impacts uh, the life on the individual. Some of the dimensions are like physical and mental function and the ability to work and socialize among others. However, in Africa, there are not enough studies on, on this type of uh, methodology because in order to use uh, a hair-related quality of life uh, instrument or questionnaire, you need to do a lot of work in trying to culturally adapt the, the instrument to the specific setting and not only taking one, uh, one questionnaire out of the shelf and just use it for quantitative uh, analysis and collecting data. And that is why uh, we put together a project which was a sub-study of the DART trial which had two components, the qualitative and quantitative. Just to bring a little bit of uh, background of the DART trial, this was uh, it's the largest uh, uh, trial in Africa uh, providing retroviral therapy. It's an open-level randomized controlled trial for monitoring provision of antiretroviral therapy in symptomatic uh, HIV-infected adults in Africa. The trial was conducted in Uganda and Zimbabwe, but the sub-study of the hair-related quality of life was only conducted in Uganda in the Entebbe site. The main objective was to evaluate the need for routine laboratory monitoring of ART in Africa and adults starting ART. The main uh, endpoints were efficacy and safety, efficacy measured by a new WHO stage four event or death. And for those that are not very familiar with HIV AIDS, HIV AIDS is a progressive disease and the worst uh, WHO stage is stage four. And the safety was any serious adverse event of HIV related. Now I'm going to hand the presentation to Barbara. Good evening. Um, qualitative methods were used to cross-cultural adapt our tools as Antonieta has mentioned. Uh, and these tools were really dealing in health-related quality of life. But the second reason as to why we used qualitative methods was so that we could document um, perceptions in the change of, of the quality of the health-related quality of life of the individuals that were receiving um, antiretroviral therapy at, from the DART trial. Participants at the DART clinic were invited to participate in focus group discussions and the room at the DART clinic was identified. The room had to uh, offer confidentiality but it also had to create ease of discussion. Each focus group discussion had about eight to ten individuals. And we used an open-ended questionnaire that would generate discussion as well as debate. Fourteen focus group discussions were conducted, and of these 14, six were done in the first three months of the participants taking art, and the other eight were conducted the year after the participants had taken art. Half of the focus group discussions were exclusively with the women, and the other half were with the men. 
majority of our participants came from the rural areas, and those that were involved in economic activities did things like fishing, jobs like fishing or selling perishable goods in the market, as well as farming. It should be noted that in Uganda, herbal remedies are still used to, to cure a number of ailments. From our data, the three key major, major themes that keep arising from our data and those that I will present today are one, the reason as to why art or antiretroviral therapy was a preferred option. The second would be the benefits of the treatment and the third would be the challenges of taking this treatment. As mentioned earlier, art is with the herbal medicines are, are, are used in Uganda. However, art was a preferred treatment option. Why? Because of its portability nature, its clear prescription, as well as um, its effectiveness. And I'm just going to take you through a number of quotes that have our participants kept reporting. I just want to report the data as said. I'll quote from this gentleman. If you are fishing away at the lake shore, no one will bring you the local concoction gallon. Yet I can carry this medicine here wherever I go. And this lady say that unlike the art drugs, we're not told when the herbal concoction expires, nor how much to drink. All they say is drink and drink until you empty the bottle. The treatment improved their physical health. This gentleman stressed that when I came here, that's at the dart clinic, I was not able to walk. I used to walk staggering, but I no longer stagger. In fact, people cannot tell that I'm HIV positive. This lady reported that when I first came, I was very thin, and people knew I was dying. I was scratching myself all over, and the skin rashes were oozing pus. However, when I started taking the medicine, the itching stopped, and the rashes started drying up. I am now fine, and our lives have been restored. I now feel I can do all the tasks that I thought I was too weak to do. Before, in the past, before the coming of ART, or antiretroviral therapy, being diagnosed with HIV AIDS felt like being given a death warrant. However, the coming of art, the coming of this treatment restored hope. And I had lost hope and did not think that there was any purpose for living. My life had ended. Testing positive tortured me a lot. However, during the time that I've spent at this clinic, my life has been restored. I now have a future, and I'm going ahead with the projects that I had laid off. This lady reported that now that we are getting this medicine, we're not about to die. We will live to see our children's children. While waiting at the clinic, the patients or the clients had time to share their, their lives and to share things that were challenging, and in so doing, offered each other psychosocial support, a benefit that might be overlooked. I'll just keep reading the quotes as told by the participants. We were stigmatized everywhere we went. We did not feel comfortable being among others. However, since I joined that, I know that I have people who care for me and love me. When we are with our fellow infected colleagues, we sit, talk, and feel so good that it feels like the disease is gone. I feel like my strength is renewed. I'll just present a few challenges that come along taking, with taking this, this treatment. And one of them is the pill burden. 
They reported that the taking of the medicine daily at the same time for a lifetime was very daunting. How I wish they would manufacture one tablet that, would, that we could take weekly instead of taking tablets every day. It gets even harder when we have to take additional medicine for other diseases. And this lady puzzled, asked us, but I wonder where all the tablets that we swallow go. Where do the tablets we take every single day go? Do they stay in our bodies or do we excrete them? For those that couldn't afford, many couldn't afford their basic needs, okay? And the, and the, the, the ability to provide food for themselves was reported very challenging. This medicine has done us a lot of good. It has restored our appetites. We now love to eat. Unfortunately, we do not have money to buy food. The times I get only 500 shillings, so I buy a few fingers of bananas to feed me and the whole family. Surely, this cannot be enough. And one gentleman said that if I take the medicine without eating something, I get hunger pangs. I feel my intestines twisting. You need to take this medicine after eating something. Along the treatment came side effects, and some of these were nausea, perpetual headaches, a distinctive body odor, dizziness, the change of color of, the, of their skin, and the darkening of their hands and nails. And for the side effects that were visible, the patient reported that there were a potential exposure of their HIV status. And at the start, we would sit in the waiting area and compare the color of our hands, of our darkened hands and nails. Most of us were concerned about being identified as people taking this medicine. I see many people with dark feet and nails, and I know they're taking art. They do not need to tell me. The dark feet and the nails show they are taking art. So how do the patients, or how do the participants in this study cope with all these changes and with all these challenges? A few painted their nails with dark polish, so you couldn't see the darkened nail colors. Others covered their bodies in the long sleeves, trousers, and the long skirts. However, some considered the side effects a trade-off worth for better health. This gentleman raised his head proud and said, if you're once very sick, got medicine, and then recovered, though turned black, you would not mind it. You would be proud of it because you are better. For one who had once lost hope and has now recovered to this stage, the change in skin color is no big issue. Others, in order to confront their fear, to deal with their fear of the AIDS, HIV-AIDS-related um, death or living with HIV, they decided to disclose their status to the communities. And in doing so, they earned support from their communities. A few emphasized, others emphasized that art, the coming of this treatment, had offered them hope for a better and a longer life. And others affirmed their religious beliefs for, for spiritual support. I am not bothered by those who laugh at me because of my status. I'm receiving treatment and taking caution, so I'm not about to die. This is hope they drew from getting the treatment. However, once you close up and do not disclose your status, you carry the burden alone. That is doom. I lived in fear and self-pity. I was scared that people would find out my status. I overcame it only much later when my counselor told me not to hide my status. From our qualitative data, 
We conclude that art improves the overall quality of life. However, this positive gain is limited by socioeconomic constraints, a high pill burden, and art side effects. Access to counseling and other additional support services may play a pivotal role in consolidating the positive effects of art and enhancing adherence for this lifelong therapy. I will now call Antonieta to take it from here. Thank you, Barbara. Um, when we were, uh, after doing the qualitative research, we were wondering which of the existing instruments for measuring quality of life we were going to use. And the evidence that we show is, uh, that we found was that there were existing 18 hair-related quality of life questionnaires that have been used around the world that were specific to HIV AIDS. Uh, these do not consider the 22 instruments that are genetic, which are not related to the disease, that were also used for HIV AIDS. So we also look at the studies that were conducted in Africa, and unfortunately the evidence uh, showed that there were different instruments used uh, depending on the, uh, on the country. South Africa has been one of the countries that have invested money uh, on doing this type of research. But they have used from the SF36 to the EQFID to um, primarily are, those are the ones that they have used. However, in the rest of, of Africa, the evidence around this topic is still very limited. Something that we also realized was that those uh, studies that have collected quantitative data have not used qualitative methods to try to understand how the different dimensions were related to the culture and religion and the day-to-day -day lives that we think that is important in order to put things into context. So the, one of the key questions of the quantitative part of the study is which one of the instruments that were around was the most suitable for use among HIV-infected Ugandans. So we decided to use the medical outcome study for HIV, the most HIV, which is a, a specific uh, questionnaire that measures 11 dimensions. We also, uh, we were also part uh, of the cost-effectiveness analysis of the DART trial, and it was very important for us to estimate utilities for Ugandans. However, the study on utilities are not available in Africa, and so we needed to validate tools that have been used in the uh, United Kingdom, Canada, and other European countries in order to obtain reliable uh, utility values to use in our cost-effectiveness analysis. So with a group of uh, clinicians and experts in the HIV field, we developed three uh, predetermined health states uh, for HIV-AIDS represented the main uh, problems mentally and physically of WHO stages two and three. And these were evaluated with the visual analog scale, with the time trade-off, and with the standard gamble. As if we have economists in the audience, no matter many, uh, you will know that it's still de uh, debatable which of the tools are the best to use uh, for uh, estimating utilities or obtaining utilities. So we wanted to see whether education and other uh, variables were influencing the uh, evaluation of utilities in these settings and with this population. 
some of the sociodemographic results of the, our sample, we enrolled 276 uh, patients from the dark child that were 18 years old or older uh, at Entebbe. Uh, the majority of them, 64%, were women, married, um, and selling perishable goods in, in the market. We were also uh, concerned by the findings of the qualitative study in terms of the lack of uh, availability of money to buy food. Um, 84% of our population, our uh, participants, were on the artificial uh, international poverty line of $1 uh, per day. So we wanted to show figures. Um, and then we decided to make it more informal and more open to, to the public. So what we did is, um, this is the most HIV, and these are the 11 dimensions that, uh, that this questionnaire has. So what we found in the four-year data collection of the dark patients is that general health and social functioning increased over the period of the time. It was a constant increase. Every time that we asked the individual how were they feeling, they keep feeling better and better. We have um, increase on their quality of life in terms of mental health, vitality, health distress, and quality of life. But this was more stable and not as pronounced as the other two dimensions. We also have some bodily, uh, bodily pain, physical functioning, cognitive function, and role functioning actually decrease at six months. The reasons behind this, we think, are the side effects that are the, in the first year of uh, receiving antiretroviral therapy, patients uh, suffer. And we have uh, one dimension that we couldn't understand what was happening, and it was health transition, because it was up and down and up and down. When, when we did the longitudinal uh, study, we, with data from baseline, we did all psychometric analysis to see whether our results were actually uh, producing what the uh, instrument was supposed to uh, measure. And we found that actually the, the, the instrument was reliable and feasible, and that the, uh, and the results that they produced actually were what they, we were expecting. However, health transition is only composed by one question, and it's just whether in the last six uh, months, they have changes in their life. And that, some of the questions are not that easy translated into when you do the, uh, the interviews. Uh, all these uh, analyses are common in a couple of papers, and you can see the econometric uh, analysis. Uh, but uh, for this presentation, we left everything out. However, when we uh, have to analyze the WHO stages, uh, the deteriorated health status was associated with a lower uh, visual and scale score. So basically, the uh, participants give a very low value from 0 to 100 to, for example, WHO stage 4. Uh, but they were willing to trade off time in order to, uh, to obtain a better uh, health state or to set increase in risk with the um, standard uh, gamble. Regression analysis showed that the TTO and, and BAS valuations uh, were independent of age, gender, age at baseline, uh, 
gender, see the four cell count and cell assessment status because we also ask individuals uh, in, in the interview how they were feeling at that moment. Um, we also uh, uh, saw that actually the evaluations of our standard gamble were less reliable and this uh, is in accordance with the studies from the UK and TTO show a more robust tool for resource allocation. This, uh, this is just um, a graphication of um, how the individuals perceive their quality of life and their economic situation. And when we did some econometric analysis, we saw that increased quality of life was associated with improved overall economic situation over time. What we wanted to do is to, to actually provide the evidence for policymakers and for future researchers that you could use these tools, that they produce reliable uh, uh, values. And actually, we, uh, we were very comfortable with the results of the most HIV and the TTO. So the most HIV is a very good tool for actually evaluating the, the, the changes in quality of life in, in HIV-infected individuals receiving antiretroviral therapy. Probably a, a word of caution is that this tool didn't include antiretroviral therapy as per se, in, uh, as I mentioned, and you probably would like to include it uh, when you want to uh, assess antiretroviral therapy in the long term. However, since this uh, instrument is part of the, a bigger instrument, which is the most uh, the medical outcome study, these part of dimensions could be included in future studies. The, because we collected data for over four years, it, it allowed us to show that actually it was an improvement in the, in the quality of life health in, uh, of patients enrolled in the DART trial. And it, this type of assessment is complementary and could provide uh, strength to optimize a response of antiretroviral therapy. In terms of, of implications for resource allocation and for cost-effectiveness analysis in particular, there is a tendency of researchers in Africa to try to use utility values from the UK or the USA. This study has shown, however, that you could obtain utilities for African populations. And when we are talking about resource allocation, it should be the population, the one that should, whose values should count. Also, if you uh, map in CD4 counts ranges into utilities, will allow us to incorporate the patient's perspective for evaluating ART uh, patient management options. We wanted to thank our collaborators, Professor Heiner uh, Groskor and Dr. Paula Munderi from the Medical Research uh, Unit of NAIDS in Uganda. Professor Charles Yields, she is the uh, UNS coordinator in India, and the Health Related Quality of Life uh, team, well, two of us are here, but we have a statistician, and also without the data collectors, this study would not be possible. And also the DART trial participants, the DART trial team, which is shown in this photograph, uh, the AVA RPC for funding the study, and of course the FID. Thank you very much. Well, that was quick. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I and others made them take up lots of slides, which we could actually reintroduce if you want to go through it again.
Thank you. Um, my name is Nambusi Chegombe. I'm from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Thank you both for what was a very interesting um, presentation. I'm very interested in the impact of antiretrovirals in Uganda. I actually have two questions, one for each of you. To Dr. Lara, you mentioned um, towards the end of the presentation that with improved health status, there was an improvement in economic situation. I was wondering how you actually measured economic situation and if you could give us a sense of how it improved and on what parameters. And then to Dr. Nyanzi Wakoli, I was very interested, you, you mentioned quickly there about how um, antiretrovirals led to an affirmation of religious belief. And I was wondering if it was for material support or for psychosocial support. And um, when you say an affirmation, was it for people who were previously religious or had antiretrovirals meant that they turned to religion as a means of coping, as a means of access to resources or, or, or what? Thank you. Thanks, thanks for your question. Uh, we were very careful in, in how to measure uh, the economic situation and we collected uh, data on expenditure and consumption and items. Uh, we didn't want to impose the patients with diaries because it's very intrusive <coughs> as, a measure, as a measurement. Um, so those were the ways that we measure uh, the economic situation. It was interesting because when we were um, redesigning the questionnaire for six months, I wanted to see whether they have radios and mobiles. And Barbara keeps saying me, yes, Antonita, but what type of radio? A small one, big one, medium one? And it was shocked for me that say, yes, it depends on, on the economic situation, the type of radio that you will have. Also, mobiles are very common now in Uganda, not when the uh, study be, uh, began. But actually, some of the mobiles were not owned by the, by the patients, but were bought by the daughter or the son and then lent to the, to, the, to the participants. So we were very careful in capturing the small details as much as it was not too intrusive for the patients. the director of the Health Economics and HIV AIDS Research Division in University of KwaZulu-Natal in Durban. I've got three questions, which I think you partially answered, uh, Barbara, in the first bit. Did you collect uh, CD4 cells on initiation and on conclusion of the trial? And if you have those numbers, are they published somewhere? <coughs> the second one is, um, 
What was the attrition rate? You had 276 uh, patients at the beginning of the study. How many did you have at the end? And do you have reasons for that? And then the third one to both of you is one of the key questions which is being posed now is value for money. Is the provision of ART good value for money and how can you prove it? Yes, we had the CD4 counts at the baseline and the DART trial for the arm, for the group that was a laboratory, a clinical monitoring, they collected uh, CD4 counts every 12 weeks. The results were provided back to the clinicians, but not for the clinical driven uh, monitoring arm. There are the DART trial uh, paper has been published in Lancet in December 2009, and there are the clinical data there. There are data there in terms of CD4 counts at the end of the trial. In terms of uh, the number of patients that we have in the quality of life study, we started with 240, 276. It moved to 246 because some of the patients have died and the last figure was 213. I have to say that at 48 months, some of the patients did not consent to participate in the study, which is understandable because, unfortunately, some of the patients participated not only in the quality of life study, but in other social, uh, social science studies. Uh, value for money. Um, I think providing antiretroviral therapy is cost-effective. I don't think that you could say that you should provide either treatment or um, or prevention. I think they are complementary goods rather than substitutes. But happy to write a paper with you ab about this debate. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Ashura Saleh. I'm from King's College London. Um, I'm doing my dissertation on HIV AIDS in Uganda, and I'm interested in the governance of um, anti-HIV AIDS efforts. I'm interested in how I've got two questions. The first one is, while ARV was being administered, and in those focus group discussions, were, were the did the clinics also encourage um, safer sexual behavior changes like the ABC, or was ARV just administered without, um, without encouraging them to practice sex safely? And the second one was, um, were grassroots organizations involved in giving out these ARVs? How were they administered through what, what was the medium? Were, these, were non-state actors really involved in this? And how did faith-based organizations, such as the church and other religious groups, view ARVs? Thank you. Anti-HIV AIDS efforts uh, are combined with the giving of art in, in Uganda. Um, even when you're in art, you can get secondary infection. So in order to avoid that, the abstinence and being faithful and condom. Condom use is really, really promoted. Most of the institutions have, most of the aid supporting institutions um, have counselors that uh, their full-time job is to counsel people, is to avail um, condoms, is to promote these messages. And, and the services are free of charge for anyone who wants them, okay? You walk in, you test positive, you're free to come in and get 
the support systems. But the, the clients, the people that are living with HIV AIDS have also formed uh, support groups. So you have support groups probably of people in the same area that have HIV AIDS, you know each other, you share your burdens, you, that social cycle support system has been instituted as well. Um, the church, the, the, I'll say the church, the mosque, all the religious institutions, the faith-based organizations, these days have, 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 a, have, um, have a bracket, have a category to support people that are living with AIDS, but they've also been acknowledged as one of those key uh, platforms to, to preach the messages of prevention. Okay? And because they offer extracurricular activities, particularly for the young, they, they offer them um, self-entertainment in places where they hope it will be safer to, to, to go to a faith-based organization and, and you know, do activities in a clean manner than go, to, go to, to meet people outside safe, um, safe, safe brackets. So yes, the church is there, and yes, the, the people in the community are there. Um, dirt people, the grassroots, the grass, the, the TASO organization, TASO is the aid support um, organization in Uganda, and most of our clients, in order to join the DART trial, were recruited from TASO. Now, TASO started as a, a, an individual's initiative, okay, and let us spread. So it's really a grassroots thing that works mainly in the rural communities. Um, just probably to span on uh, Barbara's answer, when the DART trial started, there was no uh, antiretroviral provision provided in Uganda, so it, it was quite a, a unique opportunity to join the DART trial. Um, at the moment, uh, most of the organizations in Uganda provide uh, antiretroviral therapy, although no new patients are, have been recruited for the last six months due to economic crisis. documented these things, but not from the perspective of the clients receiving antiretroviral therapy. We all know it does make a difference, but that's because clinical studies have shown it, and not 
We haven't heard from the perspective of the people, okay? So that was one of the reasons. We just wanted to hear what the community says. And I mean, we'd never have known things like the preference for art because of its portable nature, how, how religion plays a role. And I think it's, it is key that the people we give services should, should air their voices on how these services, these interventions are making a difference in their lives. And those data were best collected as qualitative data. Um, the second question was? Yes, uh, also in terms of the qualitative data, uh, it was very easy for me as an economist to go directly and, con and collect quantitative data with actually not knowing the background of these individuals and just saying, yes, we did col data collection for four years and we obtained X, Y result without having an understanding on the culture and the background and the, the for example, the nails and the change of, of the skin. At the beginning was a big issue and some of them were not that uh, comfortable with these uh, side effects. In terms of the cost of, uh, on, the, on the quantitative part of this, uh, of this study, if you look at the, uh, of the studies around in Africa, there are actually there, are, there isn't a, a lot. Most of the studies uh, use uh, tools that you could find in the internet, uh, just translated, badly translated. Most of the times they don't add, uh, adjust the questions uh, to the cultural um, setting. Like for example, here we have two set of stairs. So for us to say, are you able to go upstairs? It's something that we do it every day. For an African, actually, you, you, there are there are no stairs. So how are you going to measure the physical changes if you, if you don't translate the questions into the context? Also, the, uh, the studies of uh, evaluating uh, uh, antiretroviral therapy, the studies primarily in South Africa have used uh, utility values from the UK and the US population. And I, uh, for example, the EQPID, one of the generic measures that have been used in the UK and is one of the nice uh, recommended tools, as you, uh, if you are uh, bedridden, but could you compare the bedridden in Africa with bedridden in the UK, for example? Because in the UK you ha have electricity, running water, you have all the communities. In Africa it's not the same, and not with the, our population that were under the line of poverty. So this study was wanted actually was to present the utility values and the results from the individual's perspective not assuming that are similar in characteristics to the Europeans. So that is what was, was one of the reasons for us to do this study. Did you actually look, though, at the difference? Were there different responses to the different arms of the trial? We, yes, we have that, uh, and the paper is coming uh, uh, shortly, so. That's something you can't talk about. Yes, <laughs> sorry about that. This is, this is quite a sensitive study. We're very, actually, I, I didn't say this in the introduction, we're very lucky to actually hear about this study because it's one of these huge studies and because it's one of these huge multi-researcher studies there are all kinds of issues about what gets published when that's academic life for you so the answer to that part of the question is yes there are such results but you're not going to hear it here tonight <laughs> no. uh, lady at the back and then, that, and then the gen there was a gentleman at the back I think earlier as well. no, lady at the back there, this gentleman here I'll give you an order. That lady there, yes. And gentleman in the blue jumper, and then there's somebody else over there, and then this lady in the pink jumper. 
Hi, thank you for your talk. Um, my name is Pooja, I'm from the LSE. Um, I'm also doing my dissertation on um, the impact of reduced donor on the access of ARVs. I emailed you a couple of days ago. Um, so basically, given your findings on the relative effectiveness of um, ARTs and the quality of life, um, how do you think patients who can't afford ARVs will fare in lieu of reduced donor funding, such as PEPFAR and the Global Fund? And how do you think the Ugandan government or the different ministries um, can create a sustainable solution to this problem? Thank you. Right, I think she has a PhD thesis here. <laughs> um, yes, the economic situation in terms of antiretroviral provision is changing and it's changing a lot and very fast. In terms of how you could make uh, more sustainable um, the provision of ART, I think I would have to be an advocate for the DART trial and say that actually you could provide uh, antiretroviral therapy without having to provide monitoring uh, every, every 12 weeks with very expensive lab tests. Uh, so there is a way in which you could reallocate the current resources into pro to provide more individuals with treatment. However, this is highly controversial, as you could imagine, and I think in the coming months and uh, we will see how this we are able or not to, to shift uh, resources. Peter Woodsford, a long-term visitor to Uganda. I was very interested to hear that you recruited a lot of your people from, from TASA, which I know from back in the 90s. Uh, I wonder if you could give us an update on how TASO is doing and how effective it is, and in particular, is it being effective up-country, away from the big urban centers? Well, I wish I really had the figures um, <laughs> of TASO. However, TASO is, has spread to every district of, of Uganda. Now, we have over 36 districts, okay? And TASO has a branch in almost every district. But TASO has gone beyond and has become an advocate within the workplace, encouraging the workplace to, to have a assist, to have a care program for, for people living with HIV AIDS. So, smile, TASO is doing very well. It's, it's, it's working hard. It's pushing its, its, its space in every aspect of Uganda. And probably if I could add to that, uh, TASO is also admirable because not only provide every six months care to those that are HIV infected but either not eligible to ART because their CD4 counts are higher than 200 or because there aren't uh, drugs at the moment, but they also provide food which actually has, has uh, shown that it's not only the drugs that are needed, it's more than the drugs that are needed. And although our colleague from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine has said, and rightly, that yes, we, we knew that there was, um, a, a, that antiretroviral therapy improved the quality of life in individuals. Yes, quality of life, probably we do a survey just quickly now, it will mean differently for each one of us. And there are aspects of uh, their daily lives, such as food, such as able to to buy food for for, they, for themselves and the family that are very important. And that's what I think has covered those areas that all their organizations have. Can I follow up on that question or no comment? Neil? Did you actually look at uh, different quality of life responses by? economic circumstances? You, you said you did, but did you do it in terms of traveling times to treatment centers and those kinds of things? Uh, 
Yes and no is the answer. Uh, the problem is that all the DART patients receive uh, transport reimbursement, uh, which cover more than what they were spending. So the results are not as clear as we want. Hi, I'm Sergio Torres. I'm in the Development Studies Department here at LSE. Um, the question that I have is, what are the requirements that make someone eligible for ARV treatment, uh, in particularly in Uganda, and what percentage of those eligible are receiving the treatment as of now? Okay. Um, well, as you know, as you know, the WHO guidelines are changing. Uh, when the DART trial started, it was less than 200. Uh, um, less than 200. Now it's going to change to 350, okay, that's the discussion. And in terms of how many Ugandans are receiving uh, antiretroviral therapy that are in need, the last figure that I uh, uh, heard was only 30%. What are the names of that? No, she said, is she just? No, no, did you know? no, no, I just want you to know, I mean, what are the, what are the reasons that it's being as low as 30%? Um, well, it's interesting to see that the majority of studies in, in Uganda, the, the participants that come are uh, women. So we don't know what is happening with the men, whether the men are at home, very sick, they are dead. And also because we suspect that a lot of people are in rural areas where antiretroviral therapy is still not available. So that is why the last two trials in Uganda, the Ginger trial and the Dark trial, are so important because hopefully we will be able to deliver ART without monitoring in rural areas. Did you find any evidence that people were actually sharing their treatment? In were people on treatment sharing with people who did not have it? Because I know that happens in some places. Um, we didn't find evidence for that. Okay, not, not, in not in regards to ARVs. Why? Because there's a strict, um, there's strict classes that people go through before you access your drugs. Okay? And you're told, these drugs are for you. They, they, tell you the, they tell you the disadvantages to sharing the drugs as well as you know, not, not adhering to the drugs. So many of those that were taking the drugs had, had been told quite a bit, and this kept them from sharing the drugs. Um, so we didn't find evidence for sharing the drugs. However, another thing that I think is affecting the uptake of ARVs are the treatment gaps. The times when the country has the has the enough medicines, and the times when there's there's no stop whatsoever, and patients are told this is a lifelong treatment. So once you stop it, you're creating um, resistance. Okay. So those that think won't be able to either afford the transport to the clinic or are still doing well, will rather you know, keep away from it and do their herbal concoctions other than creating resistance, okay? And creating, and they try to, 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 to present resistance in, in a simple, in a layman's language. Um, but stigma still exists in Uganda, and most of the care centers that are providing ARVs are HIV-exclusive centers, so whoever is getting care from there is definitely HIV-positive. And many fear to be seen associating with these centers, okay? So they'll keep away even when they know they're HIV-positive. As long as it's not showing so much, I'd rather not be identified to go for the treatment. And I think this is also affecting uptake. Stigma still does exist in Uganda. 
to go back to what you just said because um, considering that you found that people actually felt an improvement in quality of life, did you address the issue that there is the risk that treatment might interrupt and how was there, or how were the fears um, and perceptions by people for, the, for this issue and then secondly uh, because I think you said in total like 63 uh, people dropped out of the study um, how many were of them were actually dying and how many did those who, who were not dying continue the treatment but just dropped out the study? And uh, how did you control for that? In the, in the okay, I'm, I'm really sorry that I don't have the figures on my mind. Happy to send them to you. Uh, the, the, there were very little drop out of a study because it was a randomized controlled trial. So these kind of things were, were easy to follow up. If a patient didn't come back, after uh, 12 weeks, they were followed up at home. Um, we controlled for uh, death, um, but I'm, 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 I'm sorry, I don't have the figure on my mind. But the, all these was properly controlled for, for covariance. Now, is there three people in the middle? So I think there's a gentleman in the mode top there, glasses, and there's a, a lady. Is there a lady behind that I see? Right. Okay. Uh, my name is Morten. I'm from the Health Community and Development Group here at the LSE. Um, you both said that stigma is still a big problem in Uganda. Um, uh, Castro and Paul Farmer, I think in 2005, wrote a very classic paper in the American Journal of Public Health where, th where they talked about how antiretroviral in, in Haiti had changed perceptions of AIDS. So AIDS was no longer a death sentence, but it's a chronic and manageable disease. And some of the, there are many other processes, but that may have helped reduce the stigma in Haiti. I was wondering whether you found that in your qualitative, in your qualitative data, whether access to AIT had reduced stigma in Uganda. It does reduce, well, it does change the perspective of, of HIV AIDS. And in a sense, it does fight stigma, okay? But it doesn't, it doesn't wipe it out. Stigma still exists. And the effect of stigma on one person is not the same as another. So, yes, it still exists, though. ARV is, is are changing the face of, of HIV AIDS, but we still have a long way to go to, you know, to, to change the stigma that's related to HIV AIDS. Hi, my name is Andrew. I'm at Destin here at LSE. Uh, I have two questions. First, about the geographic coverage of the study. You mentioned that you were based in Entebbe, but the focus groups were in rural areas. I was wondering if you could comment on whether those were rural areas were around Entebbe or whether it was countrywide, and what, reper what repercussions do you think that has on the 
validity of your study in terms of Uganda as opposed to specific to Entebbe. And then secondly, another question related to stigma. I was wondering if you could comment on over the, the, the time of the study, whether you've seen using positive or negative changes to stigma as a whole in relation to either ARV treatment or HIV being, so being HIV positive in Uganda over the, over the time of your study. Thank you. ARVs are surely changing the face of HIV AIDS and thus making it better. Um, and, the, and those that are on ARVs are actually pleasuring in the fact that you can no longer tell that they have AIDS, okay? One of the quotes we read said, I don't care that people look at me as one was HIV because I'm looking better and I'm going to live, um, live longer. So it has changed, it, it has changed it for the better. ARVs are changing it for the better and not for the worse because you know, they improve the physical health. So in, there's no way it's going to make it any worse. Um, in terms of coverage, yes, the focus group discussions were within Entebbe. Do you uh, want? Yeah. Uh, in terms of the participants for both the qualitative and the quantitative uh, part of the study, we have participants coming from rural, peri-urban, and urban uh, parts of, of the Wakiso district. Um, in terms of general availability of the results, well, you have to bear in mind that this was also a randomized controlled trial. So any effect of, of a quality of life probably it would be greater than if, if you have a cohort. Um, so I think probably treating the results with uh, caution. You don't need the microphone for the podcast, does. <laughs> Alan Whiteside again. Thank you very much. I, I should have said at the beginning of my question, I thought that was an absolutely excellent presentation. And I also think this is really an excellent and important study because it relates to the question around sustainability. The reality is that we're not going to see a huge increase in funding. So the question is, can we do more with what we've got? And the DART study tells us you can. So the question that I would like to pose to you is who is listening to the results? Is the British government? Is USAID and PEPFAR? Is the UN system, or maybe who's not listening to the results? Right, he really wants to put on the spot. Okay. Um, uh, I think there are two bands. There are the ones that believe in the results of uh, DART, and those that don't, don't believe them. Uh, I think the Americans are very skeptical, primarily PEFAR. As you know, PEFAR actually provide monitoring through lab tests CD4, hematology, biochemistry, and viral And actually, Dart is saying, actually, you could monitor, monitor HIV patients without labs. Um, so I think we still have a long way to go to convince the general population in terms of the importance of the results of, of that. And probably, uh, given the economic situation, and, and as you have said, the lack of funding in the future uh, oh, more resources in antiretroviral therapy would probably convince those skepticals. Lydia, there. Hi, my name is Kim Adams. I, I used to work in sexual health um, in one of the health authorities in London. And my question is more directed to Barbara. Um, is there any data that you've got on um, HIV infection rates in children, just children as a population on the whole? Or did this study actually include just adults 
terms of the cost of the prescription of the antiretroviral treatment, um, was that taken up by the Ugandan health authorities? We don't have data on children as yet, but a new study is coming up. It's called the ARA study. This is it's more like the baby of that. Okay, it's focusing on ch on, on the children. Um, well, we can only tell we can only tell the government that this is what we found and push and speak as hard as we can. Whether they take it up or you know is another is another story altogether. However, in terms of who provided the antiretroviral therapies uh, to the DART trial, all were donated by major pharmaceutical in, uh, companies. Justin Parkhurst again. Thank you. I, I don't know if I have it as a question or if it's just it's a, statement. a statement or a comment. A statement um, from Justin. Thank you. If I may be so bold. Because I, I, something I think about a lot and care about a lot. Uh, I mean, Alan, you're exactly right. It looks like funding is, is being cut off or shut or capped, and we need to do more with less. But one clear omission to the list of people you think might be listening, you didn't ask if the government of Uganda is. And it's a real tragedy if we no longer think the government of Uganda should be taking responsibility for providing antiretrovirals to people. Perhaps it's because the way we do development, the way we do aid, has continually bypassed governments, and we no longer build what I consider governance, systems whereby governments actually respond to population needs. And Tony, you said, why are only 30% of people on antiretrovirals? And I think we know one of the reasons is the health system hasn't been developed. The government's not necessarily responding uh, to people's needs. I don't know if there's a question in this about how we do that, how we get the government of Uganda, who, who are about to drill for oil in Lake Albert. To me, it's a no-brainer. PEPFAR is no longer giving you money. Your people will die without these drugs, and you're drilling for oil. But why don't we yet have in Uganda? Is there a way we can get Uganda to have the equivalent of a treatment action campaign? I mean, Noreen Kaliba must know Zaki Ahmed. They, they run in the same circles. So TASO, can they serve that role perhaps? I don't know. But I think it, this is not a direct question about your study, but I think it touches on all these really important issues. So just Do you I want to make a comment on that, or just leave it as a statement? I think I will leave it as a statement. And you, Barbara? Well, I could start a revolution or riot or... I'll join on Thank you. Oh, I see. You've just called for resolution. Can we report that? Oh, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be on the podcast. She did not call for a revolution in Uganda. No, I did not. Barbara and I were talking this before the And, of course, so much has the revolution in communications been in the last 10 years that people in Barbara's village can now listen to this lecture on the podcast. So she's not calling for revolution. I am, not <laughs> I am not calling for a revolution. <laughs> the gentleman in the front there with the beard and glasses, please. Thank you very much. I'm Malcolm Alexander. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, preference um, over traditional therapies, that people rather take the tablets and take the, the, the cans. But I just wonder... Beneath that, are, are people making preferences in terms of uh, uh, the, the effectiveness of, of one drug over the other? And, and what's happened to, to the traditional healers? Are they fighting back? Uh, well, you know, what's happened to the economy of the traditional healers? Or, or are the traditional healers being incorporated into the system to encourage the use of antiretrovirals? Um. Effectiveness? Well, art has proven more effective. Okay? Uh, having seen people who are on deathbeds and rising to you know, do the things they once did, 
people do believe that it's effective. Um, at the Tasso, at the Tasso clinics, the Dart clinics, people, as they wait in the sitting areas, people share their their lives and say, "I was dying and now I'm alive." You, you know, you, this this medicine works. So people do believe that. Um, the government has tried to incorporate, because there are beautiful things about the herbal treatment as well. You know, it has the nutritive, pas nutritive aspects, and it, it, it does work to a certain extent. So the government is trying to incorporate um, the traditional healers. There's a team called Theta Traditional Healers um, Association, and they're trying to get them on board to, to borrow a leaf from them that could work. So probably expanding about the role of traditional healers in, the, in this area, we did a study in malaria in um, Malawi. And it was very interesting to see that actually there is a role for traditional healers within these societies. And most of the uh, patients reported that actually it was more going to talk to someone that was a friend friends are going to the doctor and be prescribed with the medicine. Um, so I think it's still there is a role for traditional uh, healers. Um, trust is there. Um, for example, if you have this uh, uh, mega million projects and they are only white doctors, I think you will always be very reluctant to believe them and always get back to the traditional healers. But I think it was, it's a very interesting question and something that we should investigate in the future. Thank you. Uh, just to respond to something you said um, about how ARTs are changing the face of AIDS, I'm wondering, I don't know if this is a question or a statement, but I'm wondering how accurate that is given what you just said about only 30% of not those with HIV, but those with a CD4 count below 200 receiving the treatment. And that will, you know, that figure being even lower if the CD4 count gets elevated to 350. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, if through which pathways is our antiretrovirals actually changing sort of perceptions of HIV? <laughs> Please. Well, I think it's changed the prognosis of the disease. It's no longer a deadly, you know, a deadly disease, okay? Um, it doesn't lead to death immediately. In the past, once you have HIV AIDS, it's, it's just like a certificate, a guarantee that you, a warranty that you're going to die, okay? And now it's no longer that. So it has changed the face of this disease, okay? But it has also, the coming of art has also allowed HIV-positive mothers to get, you know, HIV-negative babies. That, that, that is in itself is a miracle. Um, it has changed the face, okay? People can, people can move on. Those that were once dying can return to work and return to leading normal lives. I'd say it has changed um, the face. But the point really is, mm. the point is between that question and also Justin's statement, which is that there's the 70% of the population who, who need it, who aren't getting it, and where's the movement to, it hasn't changed the face of the disease for them. They may hear that it's changed the face, yeah. but it doesn't happen for them. And that's, that's not something that there's an answer to. It's a question of leading somebody leading uh, some kind of movement, <laughs> sort of AIDS, the treatment uh, action campaign as they had in South Africa. But that was, was a different political circumstance and a different time. 
I thought it was just in Barbara that were leading this movement, with all of us supporting them. No, we know that she's not leading a revolution. <laughs> we are coming to the end because we're running out of time. And let, I can see two more questioners very quickly. Right, uh, you and then Hello. Um, I understand that the whole idea of Uganda being a success story in HIV prevalence and being able to decline it is debatable. And, but, there has the, but we cannot deny the fact that there has been a decline. But only recently have we noticed um, a slight increase. I've got stats here. But with the introduction of ARV, how can we correlate the introduction of ARV with, a with an increasing rate of HIV infections? Like, what is missing from the earlier statement where they said in 92 it was 30% and then it fell down to 10%? And, but right now we have a fall, we have a rise in infection rates. So with the introduction of ARV, what has it done with the level of prevalence? And what is different with Uganda in the earlier days when we had the Uganda AIDS Commission and the ACP coming out and now? Before you answer that question, you need to talk to this guy in the front. Yeah, I should, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, either one would do. <laughs> so you feed for the virus as well as feed for the drugs. Um, they'll kill you, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a Western thing to wipe out the, the black race. And so they did exist. Um, down the road, as I said, the drugs proved effective. Okay? So for many who tried them, they proved effective. And they went around as, I, I, I lack the word, they went around as testimonies of the effectiveness of the drugs. Okay? And so along the way, people have begun to believe that drugs do work. Okay? Because down five, ten years down the road, it's working. And so that, that has helped to sell, to sell the drugs or to increase the uptake of, of art. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is that. <laughs> but, first of all, I want to thank the stewards 
who, as usual, have done a wonderful job. The events people are 